The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. I want to tell you a story. When MyPillow came on as a sponsor of this podcast, they sent me a box with four MyPillows in it. I already use MyPillows. I love them. I have them everywhere. I even travel with one right now. I'm on a road. And since I already had my MyPillows, I gave those to friends of mine as, as, as gifts. Well, they went nuts, all called me, said they loved their MyPillows, but I only gave each of them one, so they went and ordered more themselves. That's how good they are. So if you haven't tried a MyPillow, you really should. It stays cool all night long. You're not waking up at 3 in the morning to flip to the cool side. It keeps its shape. There's no more reshaping in the middle of the night. Your head doesn't sink into the darn thing. You can throw it in a washer and dryer, and it's like new. It has a 10-year warranty. And best of all, it's made in the USA. And it comes with a money-back guarantee until March 1st. So go to MyPillow.com, click on the Buy One, Get One Free special, and use code TAFFER, and you'll get one free pillow when you buy one at regular price plus shipping. Take advantage of their best offer now. Go to MyPillow.com, click on buy one, get one free, and enter the promo code TAFFER. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about. So stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. Well, it's December 10th. I'm John Taffer, and this is another episode of No Excuses, my podcast. Well, this is a great week. Anytime I get a chance to talk to someone who's the best in the world at what they do, rated number one, it's always exciting because it's not only the fact that they are number one, it's how they got there. And this week, I'm really, really proud to have a uh, uh, the greatest drummer in the world right now, Kenny Aronoff. And, and Kenny has played w- with uh, Mellencamp for 17 years and has a list of people that he's played with that is absolutely incredible. He's been on records that have sold 300 million copies, and Drummer Magazine just rated him the best in the world. And uh, uh, Kenny's going to be here with us in a little while, and I'm really uh, uh, eager to hear his story, especially because Kenny's a public speaker. He speaks around the country to major corporate events. Now, this is a rock and roll star uh, 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 who comes out of that rock and roll world, who looks and acts like a rock star, who's doing speeches at corporate events. Uh, Kenny's a fascinating guy. He'll be with us today. And, of course, we're only about... uh, uh, what, two, two and a half weeks from Christmas, Corey? Yeah. So we got some great listener calls as well that we'll get to in a little while, which, of course, is my favorite part of the show. But, you know, as Christmas approaches, I think to myself, you know, I, years ago, people did more good. You know, there was just Christmas stuff everywhere. People were giving. And, and I thought to myself, you know, is there still as much good out there? And, you know, I just snooped. Not even spent a long time. I just went on the line quickly, and I found a few things that sort of reinforced my confidence that the Christmas spirit and we're still out there really trying to do good things. And, and for example, a, a group of elementary school children, these elementary school kids from Bethlehem Elementary School in New Hampshire, just sent, believe it or not, almost 200,000 trees to the military, Christmas trees. 
And they raised a whole bunch of money doing it. And while they did it, the school and the principal, you know, said it was really amazing. They learned how to raise money. They they did cold calling, knocking on doors. You know, they worked with the troops to, to get the trees decorated and shipped. Really cool. And that was an idea by elementary school kids. That shows, Corey, that young kids are, are doing things that are cool. That's then I bounced over to the rural world, farmers. And there's a farmer who went through chemotherapy, and he has 450 acres that were ready to be harvested, and he couldn't harvest it. So all the other farmers came out, and they did about two weeks' worth of his harvest time in just a couple of days, got his entire crop harvested. Another unbelievable story. And, and uh, think of all the people uh, that getting in their trucks, Corey, driving over there, spending two and a half, three, four days there physically doing this for someone. You know, that's a really unbelievable sacrifice when you hear stories like that. You know, sometimes uh, we can write some checks, and, and that's certainly a good thing. And, you know, we do online giving, and we have a GoFundMe and great charities that we can interact with online now. But, you know, people who really donate their time is an amazing thing. And, and, and if our money wouldn't do much of anything if it didn't have people donating their time with that money to make it work. And here's another one, complete opposite side of the spectrum. A homeless man finds seventeen thousand dollars, seventeen grand in stacked twenty dollar bills in front of a homeless center. And he said he saw a peculiar brown bag sitting outside the locked door. Thinking it had food in it, he opened the bag and it contained stacks of twenty dollar bills, seventeen thousand in cash. So the amazing thing is what did he do with the money? He brought it back into the homeless center and gave it to them so that they could feed more people. Wow. This is a homeless guy. He could have gone and gotten himself a hotel room for a month. He could have done so many things, but instead he chose to help feed some other people. And then I got the coup de gras. This was the one that really got me. And I'll tell you who it is in a minute. So a secret Santa goes to two Walmarts in Atlanta. And without knowing anyone, pays off $430,000 worth of layaway items that are in the store. Wow, that'll make, that'll make a lot of people's Christmas a little bit better. Unbelievable. So think about these people. They think they have weeks more to pay, right? Oh, I got, am I going to get it in time for Christmas? I don't have a lot of money. I'm paying every week. I'm running to my Walmart, to, and I'm laying away. And then suddenly I get a phone call from Walmart that says, by the way, your, your, your items are ready for pickup. They were paid for by somebody. Xbox or yeah, that's great. And then you think about the, the families that maybe haven't done so well the past few weeks, missed a couple of those layaway payments. And maybe those kids weren't going to get those gifts or those toys or that underwear, or whatever the heck it is they need in time for Christmas. And now they will. And you know why they will? Because of Tyler Perry, Tyler Perry did that. Wow. And, you know, it's unbelievable. He didn't do it by the phone. He went to the store and he did it. Again, he got in his car. He drove there, physically took care of this, did the paperwork, made the payment anonymously, and then left. And, and talk about an amazing Christmas gift uh, uh, that he could do for people. If all of us did just a little something with our time, it would make a huge difference. And, and you know, as we approach Christmas, Tyler Perry gave an unbelievable Christmas gift to, I'm guessing, hundreds of people that had things on layaway at those stores. That farmer received an amazing Christmas gift. And those are great gifts of humanity. But let me be vain for a minute. While I'm thinking about all this good 
and all the great gifts that people are giving each other in their time and their charity. I read that Hugh Hefner's typewriter, and of course, everybody probably knows Hugh Hefner died uh, several months ago, and they just had a major auction of all of his personal effects and items and some of his clothing, and uh, there's more information online. But his typewriter, just an old portable typewriter, sold for $162,000. And uh, 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 I don't know, you think people would have paid more for the camera lens just based on what that camera had seen over the years. But the, the wallpaper or something. Yeah, or something like that, yes. Or some of the pictures on his wall. All that stuff was for sale. Playboy uh, uh, bunny pictures of his personal ones, paintings from the walls and things. It's a really neat auction. And I thought to myself, gee, if I was going to go out and buy great Christmas gifts, something like, Hughes, a uh, uh, Hef's typewriter, really get you something that was amazing. And I thought to myself, you know, what could I buy somebody for Christmas that there's only one of in the world? You can't get it anyplace else. It's real. It's authentic. It's a piece of memorabilia, et cetera. So I did some homework and I found the top 10 most expensive memorabilia items that have been sold recently. Oh, okay. And I got them and I got them. 10 to 1. So here we go, folks. So here it is. I found this interesting. Number 10 sold for $305,000. Captain Kirk's chair from the television show Star Trek. Now, I was surprised. I thought that chair would have gone for more than three hundred and five grand. What do you think, Corey? Yeah, I would have put a way bigger number on that. Me too. That's number like 9 was the slippers from Wizard of Oz, the red slippers. And there's a couple of pairs of those because there's another pair in the Smithsonian. But those slippers went for six hundred and sixty grand. The next one was uh, the movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang had a flying car in it. And it was like a late 1920s with the running boards and the big headlights in the front. It was stainless steel and it was a really cool looking car. But the flying car from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is sold for a million. That's number eight. Number seven is you saw The Wizard of Oz. Oh, of course. The, and this is a little disgusting by today's terms, and Peter probably is going to go nuts when I say this, but the lion from The Wizard of Oz, that was a suit actually made from lion pelts. Really? Oh, it's really disgusting. Field day on that <laughs> nowadays. That sold for 826000 Number six, this is a pretty amazing one, is from the movie The Spy Who Loves Me, the Bond car, but not the Aston Martin, the Lotus Esprit. From oh. the movie The Spy Who Loved Me, eight hundred and sixty grand. Wow. This one shocked me. Number five, Breakfast at Tiffany's. The Vinci black dress that she wore in the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's, nine hundred and twenty three thousand. Steve McQueen's racing suit from the movie Le Mans, number four, nine hundred and eighty four thousand. And there must be some serious Steve McQueen fans in the world yeah. because number three is his 911S Porsche from the same movie, Le Mans, which sold for 1375000 And then number two, and if I ask people to guess what number one was, I'm guessing nobody would ever guess, but don't worry, I'm going to tell you. Number two is the Aston Martin from Goldfinger, James Bond's Aston Martin, the DB5. And the number one piece of memorabilia ever sold in the highest of price and this shocked the hell out of me not that it isn't significant it is we've all seen marilyn monroe and we all have seen the image of her in the movie the seven-year itch a quarry where she's standing on this on the sewer and the wind blows up and her dress is that white dress sold for 4.6 million dollars and that was number one 
So then I thought to myself, okay, that's Hollywood kind of memorabilia. What about sports? Okay. So so sports, I grabbed the top 10. And number 10 is the FA Cup, which is the English original soccer cup from the 1871 season is worth about $956,000. That got number 10. Number nine, and Babe Ruth, by the way, dominates the sports charts uh, as far as highest items ever sold. It's incredible. Number nine is Babe Ruth's 1919 Yankees contract for 996000 you know what's even more incredible than all these stories that you're telling me? Is there's that many people out in the world willing to drop $800,000 on one piece of item. It's incredible. So moving right along, I'll skip up a little bit. Number seven is Sheffield Football Club rules and regulations and laws from the original English football club, the oldest soccer club in the world. Number six, Babe Ruth again. Second entry, his 1923 first Yankee Stadium home run bat. The first home run he ever hit in Yankee Stadium, that bat sold for $1,265,000. Number five is a piece of memorabilia from somebody almost nobody ever heard of, which shocked me. So, Corey, do you know who Paul Henderson is? I do not. Doesn't surprise me at all. Very few people do. His 1972 hockey jersey sold for $1,275,000. That was the Olympic team that beat the Russians. Oh, okay. It, in that amazing hockey game, of course, the movie Miracle yeah. uh, was about that story. His jersey sold for a million two seventy-five. Number four is Mark McGuire's seventieth home run ball. I wonder if that ball is coated in steroids. <laughs> I'm sure. I is. wonder. I wonder if it's bigger than the normal ball, or if it's more <laughs> muscular than normal ball. If it rolls faster than a normal ball, because there's something that has to do with steroids connected to that ball in some way. But in any event, <laughs> that ball, you ready? Big numbers. So a number four, Mark McGuire's home run ball for three million dollars. That's number four. Number three is Honus Wagner's 1909 baseball card which is the most valuable baseball card in the world. And that sold for $3.12 million. Number two is James Naismith. Very few people know who James Naismith is. Uh, uh, James Naismith invented basketball in Canada. And he did it in 1891 at an international YMCA training school. And, and in 1891, he wrote a document called The Rules of Basketball. Okay. And invented the game of basketball. And his original notes and original rules of basketball are number two at $4.3 million. And number one, who do you think got the number one slot? Ooh. Babe Root's 1920 jersey. It has three. Uh, he has three spots on this list, by the way. His jersey, which is was worn by the Bambino, as they called him then, $4.4 million. So if we want to do a little bit of a comparison... And being the freaking nutcase that I am, Marilyn Monroe's dress is number one in entertainment memorabilia, $4.6 million. The number one sports memorabilia, Babe Ruth, is $4.4 million. Entertainment beat out sports in memorabilia. Isn't that something? So there we go. If you want to get somebody a great Christmas gift for about $4 million bucks, you can nail it. You can get them something that they can't get anyplace else in the world. There's also, by the way, when I looked at other things to get, there's a lot of pieces of memorabilia, even in the Hefner auction, that you can buy for a couple hundred bucks, little collections of, of photographs or buttons or things that he had. It's interesting that you can get a lot of memorabilia, really cool stuff, pretty inexpensively too, which is a, a pretty cool Christmas gift to give somebody something that has some historical significance. When I come back, I'll be with Kenny Aronoff. 
Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Support for No Excuses with John Taffer comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make. But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive buying power process. Here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then once you've found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep the new lower rate. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash taffer. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date. How about the luxury package you got after a big promotion? Or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer? While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions like navigation or moonroof and watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew that was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer not available in all areas. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. Anytime I can meet, talk to, befriend, or learn from anyone who's the best in the world at something, it's powerful. And there's a reason why somebody becomes the best in the world, Kenny. And and I've learned a lot about you the past couple of days, buddy. And before I welcome you on board, I just want to make you blush for a second. You're hugely successful, not from natural talent. You weren't the greatest drummer when you first started. I know your story. You have an unbelievable will desire and energy for success. You're an incredible example. I'm really proud to have you, buddy. Kenny Aronoff, who's the greatest drummer of all time and the hardest-hitting drummer in rock and roll? Fair? They say that. They they say that. I mean, Stephen still said to me the other day, I played with him Sunday, and he went, well, are you going to hit so loud that I have to look at my frets to know what chord I'm playing? (laughs) (laughs) So Monitors don't work when you're in a room, I'm guessing that. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? I mean, I I can play real soft. It just depends. I mean, if you're playing rock and roll and you're playing in an arena, yeah, I'm going to crush the drums and hit and make sure the guy in the end, the last row, hears me and, and feels me. But yeah. if I'm, you know, if I'm playing with something else, it's quieter, like whatever it is, I, I play quiet. I can do it all. 
I know you can. And when you look at the people that you've played with, the list is, is truly incredible, Kenny. And, and, you know, some of the names that I thought were shocking because it's almost culture shock when you bounce between them is to play with Joe Cocker and then go play with Celine Dion. Yeah. And then go play with Stevie Wonder. And then go play with Joe Walsh. And I just picked four names because that's just unbelievably bizarre to bounce between those four different worlds. You know, I want people to know a little bit about you, if you can, for a second. You know, you're one of the greatest studio players of all time. You played with Mellencamp for a long time. Mm -hmm. I know your story. And if if you would tell everyone, I want everyone to know how you became. Because you're not only an unbelievable session musician and rock star. You're an unbelievable speaker. And you speak in leadership summits and you speak in huge corporate events. And when you think about a dude with your history speaking in corporate events surrounded by suits, it's an amazing story. Did you, when you were young and you got your first drum set, and I know you saw the Beatles on TV, and and, and tell that story quickly, if you would, with your mom and the phone call and stuff. That's a great story. Well, what happened, we were, I grew up in Western Mass. There was nothing to watch on TV, and my brother and I were outside. And my mom yelled at us, and we thought we were in trouble. And she said, you got to come in right now. So we thought we were going to be reprimanded, but on the black and white RCA TV set with the rabbit ears, you know, to get better reception was um, the Ed Sullivan show. And there's four guys on the, sh- on the show with long hair playing uh, rock and roll, electric guitars. And I, I, I said, who are those guys? I was bouncing off the walls. My mom said, well, the, the Beatles. I went, well, I want to play in the Beatles call them up. I want to be in that band. And, um, and so obviously she didn't call the Beatles up. So I started my own band. I could only afford a cymbal and a, and a snare drum. And I stood up and played. And, uh, cause we didn't have a lot of money. My mom wasn't going to go out and buy a drum set. So I started a band called the alley cats and we started playing Beatles music. And eventually, you know, I played in bands all through, I was 11 years old until it was I was 18, and it was time to go to college, and everybody in my family went to college. I had been studying percussion with the percussionists from the Boston Symphony Orchestra because there was nobody even around to teach rock and roll back then, and there there was no schools of rock, and there was no mentor. There was nobody to tell me, all right, kid, you want to be a rock star? This is what you do. There was none of that. I I grew up in a town of 3,000 people. So I I ended up – I studied with this percussionist, and I got into the into uh, UMass School of Music, which was an okay school of music. But I, I knew immediately I was studying classical music, like remember, timpani, how to read, conduct, um, uh, music history, music literatures, uh, you know, played in orchestras and symphonic bands and jazz bands. And anyway, um, it was culture shock for me. But I ended up transferring after working my butt off, you know, all year practicing till they throw me out of the buildings at night trying to catch up, and I was good enough to get into the Aspen School of Music in the summertime. Actually, I was chasing after this hot cellist. She didn't end up going. I got in, and it was all Juilliard kids, and it was run by Juilliard, and I was absolute worst percussionist there. But at that Aspen School of Music summer festival was George Gaber, who taught at Indiana University School of Music, which was the number one school in, the, in America for classical music. I demanded an audition. I get in. I spend four years working my way from the bottom to the top, and I eventually get into the Jerusalem Symphony Orchestra. And I might want to add that 
for four consecutive years, I tried to get it to, to the number one student orchestra in the summer, which is run Tanglewood. Symphony, yeah, Tanglewood, which is run yeah. by the Boston Symphony Orchestra. And after three strikeouts, the fourth year I auditioned, I wouldn't give up. I got in, and they only picked seven percussionists in the whole world. And there is where I got to work with Leonard Bernstein, Aaron Copeland, the conductors, and Sergio Zauer and Arthur Fiedler. Wow, I used to go see the Boston Pops there. That's what I did when I used to yeah. not see me. But I got into the Jerusalem Symphony Orchestra, and I turned it down because, and I say this in my speeches, my brain told me that I should do it. My heart, my deepest desires, my, my truth, my passion, you know, uh, I followed my bliss, and that was I still wanted to be in the Beatles, make records, tour the world. And I, I turned down um, something that was uh, certain for possibility. And I spent four years struggling, trying to make it to reach my dream. And I eventually went back to Indiana and formed a band. We didn't get the record deal I'd hoped. And I was about to come to New York City, and there was this guy that I'd heard was looking for a drummer. Um, and he was, he was on this new TV show called MTV, and the guy's name was Johnny Cougar. I audition, get in the band that becomes John Cougar Mellencamp. But here's a, a, a very heavy uh, transition. In five weeks, I'm in L.A. making a record. I told everybody my dream had come true. I'm making a record with this Johnny Cougar. We're going to be on the radio. I'm going to be on tour. I'm, I'm going to be on MTV. And in two days, I got fired. And the crucial moment, which defines who I am, was John said we had a meeting. And he said, listen. The producer wants to get this record done fast, and you haven't had enough experience making records that get played on the radio. And he was right. I, I didn't understand what the purpose of a drummer making yeah. a record was. And the purpose is one thing only, and that is to get the record on the radio to be a number one hit single. Everything else doesn't matter. So anything I it's not about me at all. Not had nothing to do about me. And I talk about this when I speak. It's about service. It's about me serving the song, serving the mm -hmm. artist, serving the band, serving the engineer, serving the producer, definitely serving the guy who hired me, serving the musicians. Anything I can do to be a, a team player, because teams may win Super Bowls, teams win World Series, teams win Stanley Cups and NBA titles, not individuals. However, you want to be the MVP on your team to win the Super Bowl. So the individual should be an MVP, but always serving we not me that's deep and that's what of course defines a great drummer so what you're saying is you step out of the spotlight mm -hmm. and play to the song if the song has minimalist and drumming then you are now a minimalist if that's yeah. what makes the song great yeah. and if you've got to step up like you did for example and i'll just pick a great one in jack and diane and that's a moment where you weren't behind where you stepped up one of the greatest solos of all time Really, what you're talking about is being a great corporate citizen, being a team player, attitude. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, and I'd say that a lot of people go, God, Kenny gets all the gigs. And you're right. I'm not the best drummer in the world. The thing is, yes, I, I bring a lot to the table with experience and knowledge. But a, another big component is my ability to get along with people and to communicate with people. Because on Monday, I worked out of a two-week um recording session with John Bon Jovi and then I walked right into Elton John and then the Bob Seger and then the Bonnie Raitt and B.B. King then Willie Nelson wow. and each wow. one of those artists 
is another corporation. They have their own engineers. They have their own uh, producers. They have their own own everything. And I have to and be their own there. demographics, yeah. their own targeting, their own positioning, mm-hmm. their own style. Yeah, I get it. I have to. It's almost like I could be playing in five. I could be working in five corporations in one week. Not one corporation, five different. So my my ability to adapt and get along and serve uh, as a human being and do my job as a drummer and musician combined, I would say is one of the, 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 those components has made me very successful. And of course, my passion and desire, you know, to really to make people happy. I mean, I, I talk about this in my speaking, which is, you know, what is my, my purpose in life? You know, what is the, the heavy purpose in my life? And that I'd say my purpose in life, and I didn't know it as a kid, but my purpose was, um, just to make people feel good. I, I played drums because it made me feel good. Then I noticed when I played drums, it made the people in the band feel good, which made me feel even better. Then I was making audiences. The band was making audiences feel good. I mean, what a great purpose to have in life. Higher the end of the, life is to make end. people feel good. Yes. You know, at the, I'll tell you a story that I never tell people. I took drum lessons for nine years when I was a kid. Oh, for what? a year. For a year, I took him from Art Blakely in New York. Oh, my and, God. And I moved oh to Los God. Angeles, and I played the drums in a whole bunch of bands. And, and, and I had a premiere set like like Keith Moon, who was my idol when I was a kid. And one day, the owner of the Troubadour convinced me to go into the nightclub business. So, so I switched from playing the drums into the nightclubs. But, you know, there was one thing that you said that was really powerful. I was a good guy. People liked me. Everybody wanted me to play in their band because I was fun. And that's you. Everybody wants to be in your band. You have an energy. You're positive. You energize the room. When I read about you, everybody says you motivate a freaking studio. You bring it to life. People yeah. want you in the room, Kenny. Isn't well, that it, probably your greatest asset in a way? Yeah, I would say that. I'd say that, uh, yeah. I mean, you know what? And I, I don't even take credit for it because I was born that way. You know, it's I call it the Tom Brady effect. When he walks on the field, everybody on his team feels his presence. Because he's humble, he's a warrior, he's very powerful mentally, emotionally, physically, he's a team player, he's a leader, he's all these great things. And so they love his presence, they want him there. And the, the enemy, the other guys on the, the other opposing team, they honor him too. That attitude, I think, is, 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 you know, I think what sets you so apart, and that's so much of the lesson. And when I read about you, you say show up and things like that. But it's, it's far more than that. When people light up a good room, a, a room, it's a powerful thing. Years ago, I did an interview for Forbes magazine, and they said to me, what defines success? And I said, you know, things like, you know, integrity, experience, working hard, and good humor. And they were surprised when I said that, Kenny. Mm-hmm. And he said, because I think humor is key to success. Who the hell wants to be in a room with somebody who's, who's a freaking drag all the time, who never makes you laugh, who never makes you smile? Oh, yeah. I want to ask you a couple of fun questions if I can, okay? Yeah. When you were a kid, what was your first drum set? What kind of drum set was it? Can I ask? Oh, yeah. Was, I still have it. It's a, a Ludwig. I bought it at Manny's in New York. My, well, first, my mom went in there and oh, bought it. Oh, my God. I bought mine there, too. Yeah, so it was a Ludwig. What's the color? Well, it originally it was black, and then I eventually stripped it, and when it got it down to the wood, I bought the snare drum, and the, my mom said, listen, I don't know if my kid's going to keep playing this instrument. She said, you know, Mrs. Aronoff, if your kid doesn't like this drum, bring it back. I'll give you your money back. 
Who does that? <laughs> I bought mine in exactly the same store because I grew up in Long Island. I had a Black Oyster Pearl Ludwig. Oh, wow. Which was, I believe, the same as Ringo set back yeah. then. Okay, yeah. I'm going to ask you an unfair question. You ready? Yep. Because I know you love the Beatles, and I know they probably got you into this business. Do you have a favorite Beatles song? I, I mean, I'll grab one. I mean, um, Michelle off of Rubber Soul, yeah. uh, Ticket to Ride. You know, um, it's easy I, to grab an album that was most that influenced you the most. Well, the, there's a bunch of them. I mean, it was a hard day's night help, Rubber Soul, Sergeant Peppers. I mean, then it got heavy, Revolver, Magical yeah, Mystery yeah. Tour. You know, people don't realize these guys they did Rubber Soul, Sergeant Peppers, Revolver, Magical Mystery Tour in one year and 11 months. Nobody, it's I mean, that's, like, that's less than two years, and they had were touring for part of that. Nobody, I've never, I don't know anybody who's done that many albums in short a period of time. And they everything that much. Started, what, and what? And evolved so much from record to record as well. It was like four different bands. Yeah, it's unbelievable. That's that. That I talk about creativity in my in my teamwork speech, and I use that as an example of 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 old people always trying to get better. That's the that's that's the third step of teamwork is you got to be always trying to get better to serve the team and. The Beatles were a great example of that. Yeah. When was it when you were, I know that a big day was getting into school and Aspen, of course, was a big success for you. Getting into Mellencamp was a big thing for you. At what point in your life did you ever actually reflect to yourself and say, you know, holy shit, I made it? I guess when I was uh, selling out arenas with Mellencamp and I felt, but I always was humbled by, you know, my mistakes and imperfection. You know, now I'm at the age now where instead of being heavily disappointed and 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 I still am, I still get disappointed even if I make one little mistake. But I also another part of me appreciates the value of that mistake and how much it teaches me to become better. And that those those are nuggets and gifts. Yeah. The the mistakes become gifts because with those I'm gonna get better. Yeah. So, so this is another unfair question, and I never thought of it. I, I bet you've never been asked this before. If you were going to a session gig tomorrow, would you rather it be with somebody you've played with before or somebody new? Oh, wow, that's a great question. Well, it's a lot easier if you played with somebody before, but I, 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 I don't mind. I can either or. It doesn't matter. Really? So, 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 so uh, I'm guessing the newness, you've played with so many people at this point, it, it becomes a, a bit material whether it's new or old is oh, yeah. there a, is, i'm actually fearless with it i i get excited to meet new people i love to light up the room it comes natural I, I i feel totally confident um you know but you know i i i will i recognize when we're you know when there's trouble like i can feel like oh my god we got a situation here but i know exactly i mean i just did i was doing something for a james cameron movie and it was a it was a lot of um kind of a Latin African influence in in pop, and I had to go between two different fields. And for some reason, I was having a little bit of a problem within the transition. And when and then lunch came at that moment, I told everybody to go to lunch. Don't worry about me. I practiced for th- uh, thirty minutes until I got it. And and there was no way I could eat lunch until I felt comfortable that it was some. I not only did I have to learn the transition between styles, but then you have to do it over and over and over again. You have to repeat it over and over again. I'd walk away, come back, do it again, walk away, come back. So I could own it so that when we recorded it, you know, an hour later that I could 
could could uh, be successful, and I was. You know, it's interesting is 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 what you have to say is so valid to all of us in any other business. The fact of the matter is when you go into a session, you're there to please the, the person in the room, please the artist, or as you say, please the corporation. On stage, you're all about pleasing the audience, pleasing the artist that you work with. You and I are very much the same. We derive our, sex, our, our, our success and our pleasure through our pleasure of the people around us. Yeah. You're, you're a pleaser in essence. Yeah. Which yeah. is a powerful thing. And I love how now you've really pushed into the public speaking arena. Kenny, I was watching a video of one of your speeches. It freaking blew me away, buddy. It did. And I've been a public speaker for 30 years. This is what I do for a living. And I make a lot of money doing it. I do it all over the world so that everybody knows what I saw. Because you might be too humble to say this. So I'll say it. Kenny goes to a corporate event. He sets up his freaking drum set. There's a video monitor behind him. And it's a cross combination of him performing and speaking, and all I can say is it's a musical intellectual experience wow. that 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 you know I can't explain another other way other than to say bravo, man. It was it Thanks. blew me the hell away. And people Thanks. should check it out on YouTube. There's a couple of clips of you speaking there, yeah, and well, I saw your speaking website. People need to not only book you for sessions, but you're great at these events. How are the reactions after after you're done? Because you've got to blow people away. Well. I get people dancing. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, the challenge is that I want them to be, I want to, uh, I don't want to just be telling stories. Cause, I mean, I got so many stories. I mean, you, I mean I'm talking about Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones and Dave Wolf from Foo Fighters and meeting President Clinton and all this stuff. And and I'm performing. I want them to be left with a meaningful inspiration and a, something that actually will change their life with the content I'm talking about. So it's, it's uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm actually playing a little less to make sure that they, the, 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 the playing is the entertainment part. And at the end I give them, you know, and I, what I usually do is I say, you know, this is where typically a rock band, they go off the stage and people keep applauding. Then you walk back on, you do an encore. I say, I'm not going to leave the stage cause we've run out of time. I just do an encore. And it's actually a, a blazing, short version of a buddy rich big band song mm. i recorded straight no chaser right there in new york and i play 30 minutes of that and i go into a drum solo for 20 two and a half minutes which at that point they haven't heard me do anything like that and it's kind of a nice and then i hang out afterwards and meet people and take wow. pictures. They, they, they 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 like it because you know they they feel like wow you know they're not used to having a rock star uh yeah speak to them you know you know, I find after speeches like that, there's a real gratification that I get. You know when you touch people, Kenny. You can oh, yeah. see it on their faces, yeah. in their body language. And you know that what you did, no different than a great song, but it's even deeper than that because it's life-changing. You know, a great song is part of your life. When you change what somebody is or what somebody does, you change their life. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's deep. So there's nothing in my life more gratifying. You know, I do TV, and there's about 90 million people that watch Bar Rescue. But, yeah. you know, without that connection of speaking and even a podcast and talking to you like I am today, I would feel a completely alienated. I read that you want to spend about 75 percent of your time speaking. I just think that's freaking awesome. So well, you're really getting it, pleasure from the connection. Oh, yeah. Somebody said 75 percent. No, I, I, I'm not putting any percentage on it. I just I, uh, I see this as, um, uh, you know, because I mean, I'm going off. I'm going to be doing the Hendrix Experience Tour. 
all through March with Joe Satriani and, and Doug Pinnock uh, from King's X. I'm going to do it all the all of October. Then I'm, I'm, I've got other tours booked and I've got sessions booked and, you know, I do stuff with Billy Gibbons. And, wow. uh, but, but the speaking thing is a very important thing to me because it's the next uh, evolution of sort of Kenny Aronoff. You know, I've done stuff. I, I'm I'm one of these guys that wants to evolve and become a better man until I die. And part of being a better man, and I, I work at this. I'm actually, you know, I'm studying and I'm trying to push the envelope, you know, to be better than I've ever been as a man, which then transcends into sharing the, that wisdom with people. You'll never be good enough for yourself, will you? Nope. Nope. No. But that's I, what makes you special. That, that's said, that's all of it right there, isn't it? Well, put it like this. The greatest running backs in football, and there were a whole slew of them playing today, they don't score touchdowns every time they get the ball, but they keep their eye on the end zone for their entire career, play-by-play, game-by-game, season-by-season. And that they accept that the, the, that they're what they're able to do and, and just keep trying to do the best they can do. You know, I wrote a book uh, uh, last year called Don't Bullshit Yourself, Cut the Excuses That Are Holding You Back. And a whole yeah. chapter was about fear. A- wow. And I've heard you talk about fear yeah. and how the fear of failure is a huge motivation for you. Yeah. Right? And how you yeah. – it's interesting because I'm the same way. When I think of fear, it makes me fight harder, work harder, right? I can't accept failing. It's amazing to me that so many of the people that are listening to us now, Kenny, are paralyzed by fear, not motivated by it. Great, great choice of words. Paralyzed by fear because I use that that too. And uh, actually, I have a book, a second book that I have been sitting on for a year. I got to get it. It's it's being. I'm editing. It's really pretty much done. But it talks about you know. It's called Are you living your life loud or are you dying on the vine? And basically, people who are dying on the vine are paralyzed. And it's a really. A, it's it may not be. Uh, I mean, uh, maybe you and I. Uh, don't get paralyzed we take action but right. there's a lot of people that actually are paralyzed yes. and all i can say to them is look you if you don't do anything you're going to get nothing zero equals zero it's basic math take one step a day like it doesn't have to be you're going to have you're not going to score a touchdown in right now you take one step every day and then at the end of the year you got 365 steps that's 365 more steps than you would have done if you didn't do anything and you everybody has their own makeup and their own version there's no two people alike and maybe guys like you and me are extreme uh workaholics hustlers uh everybody has their own way of doing things but doing nothing is to me is is that's real failure when you do nothing that's not living life that's not living life not you're not you've been given a gift to learn about who you are as a human being in this life. And if you choose not to, I think you're wasting it. And yeah. I, well, I, you and I are so alike. Can you know, in a book, I talk about excuses and how they hold us and paralyze. Us. Oh, and yeah. I define, I define an excuse. You'll like this. Uh, uh, an excuse is nothing but the reconciliation of a mistake. So anytime we use an excuse, it's because we did something we shouldn't have. Right, didn't do something we should have, or otherwise screwed up. So I'm using an excuse. So it makes me feel good about my own screw up. Yeah. So 
So with you, there's no freaking excuses, period. You'll go play with anyone. You'll play at any session. You'll take any song. You'll work through lunch and play it 100 times over if you have to until you get it right. The fact of the matter is there's no excuses in your life, are there, Kenny? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, there really is no excuses. There's never an excuse. It's just that shit happens, and uh, you should own it. I think that the, the 11th commandment, if, I, if there was one, I'd call it, thou shalt not bullshit thyself. Meaning, <laughs> be, be honest with yourself, man. You know, it's hard. I, of course, it's natural to want to say, yeah, but it wasn't my fault. You know, if things That's happen, you just, you just own up to it. And uh, you just say, yep, well, we can do this better. I can do it better. You know, like I said, you'll never be perfect. You just try to be perfect. Some days are better than others. And sometimes... Yeah, the reason why something went wrong, I just played with Don Felder and this big Guitar Legends thing that's going to be on, I think, CBS on December 21st. Played by, like, with Sammy Hager, Billy Gibbons, Don Felder, Stephen Stills, mm-hmm. um, Joe Bonamassa, Orianthi, uh, on and on and on. And, and uh, this, there was a backing track and a click track. And it was on uh, a song, and in rehearsal it was great. Sound check was great. During the show, couldn't hear the click. We had to just do it without the click. All the, he heard the click, I didn't. So it was a really weird. And I mean, you know what? He turned around afterwards. Said, Did you hear the click? I went, no. That was it. You know what? Can you do? Uh, is that an excuse? I mean, well, that's reality in that. That's real. It just happened. That's what happened. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I'm not looking for excuses. You know, to to uh, I'm looking for honesty. Honesty is the the greatest thing to be. You know, don't bullshit yourself. Be honest I, with I, yourself. I always say that that if you own your failure and not blame somebody else, if you own your failure, you'll own your success. Because you don't like looking in the mirror and saying, I'm a failure. That you won't do, so you'll freaking change. If you pass it off to someone else, you have no reason to change. I read something really cool that you said, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you the question. You used a term or somebody used a term about you, life principles. What are your life principles, Kenny? The first three things that come to mind as far as being successful is that you you have to be willing to work hard. There's there's no working hard is like is like uh is like a vehicle it gets you through life. You get into a car, it gets you somewhere. You get in a plane, it gets you somewhere. Working hard gets you somewhere. The next one is self discipline. That's where self discipline is making yourself do something that you don't necessarily want to do, but you make yourself to do it to get the results that you want. Lifting weights. You want muscles? You lift weights. It's not fun. Although I enjoy it, but but lifting weights, practicing, you know, endless hours, working hard, making yourself do something. Those two things together really team up real well. And then being persistent, which is continuing to do those two things uh, endlessly. There's no I don't just because I've made it, I cannot just walk into a gig and got it. I have to practice. I have to do technique exercises. I have to then practice the material. I have to prepare. I know you can relate. So, you know, hard work, self-discipline, and persistence. Um, communication skills, the ability to get along with people, healthy, mentally, physically, emotionally. There, You've got to be mentally, physically, and emotionally uh, healthy. Otherwise, everything I just talked about goes down the tubes. You have to stay relevant. You have to be able to adapt. The 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 world is changing so fast, and the, you have to adapt to do. I mean, look at who would have thought the LP and the CD was gonna never was going to not be 
a popular yeah. thing anymore. You know, it's like the music business is like the horse and buggy business. And a car showed up 15 years ago. I mean, it's it's changed. You have to adapt. The other thing is you have to come from a place of love and joy. That's my 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 newer principles. Come from a pl- place of love and joy uh, because you have to love yourself first. You have to you have to in, appreciate who you are first. Because if you don't dig yourself, how are you going to dig somebody else? If you hate yourself, you'll hate everybody else. It and, projects too. When you love yourself, it projects from you. It radiates from you. People see that. I'll give people know? a lesson. I mean, it's a really scary one. It's not an easy one. Go to the mirror and look at yourself and say you love yourself. It's a difficult thing to do because we always think, you know, we could look better or this or that. But if you can do that, you can then appreciate other people. You know, our imperfections are per, are, are perfections. Those are some of my principles. And I, and then there's more. I mean, you know, it's like go from your head and try to live more and more from your heart. At least know who you are and how you feel. Uh, you that's you know I'm a, I'm very a heady person, but I'm working more and more from my heart because that's that's how you can move through life, uh, accomplishing more faster and more meaningfully. Yeah, and more yeah. meaningfully for you. I think so because it's who you are. So I want to wrap this up with two f- questions. The first one is just a fun one for me because I am a huge – I'm a drum fan. I've played drums my whole life. I still have a, a Roland V electric set in my office, Kenny, and I still play all the time on my electric set. And when I'm in my car, I'm always playing on my steering wheel, buddy. So I am a huge fan of drummers. I just want to say a name to you just for fun and mm-hmm. just see how you react to it if that's okay. Yeah. Hal Blaine. Oh, man. One of the greatest session drummers ever and one of the greatest – times in recording music it was i had to ask you that question because in very many ways he was your predecessor in a sense yeah yeah he, no, was, he yeah. was a guy of his day and you are you have taken a crown and, and well, to think said, that said that yeah it, that's deep man that's really a powerful thing but uh, those who don't know who hal is or know who kenny is and understand the depth of the of of work kenny that you've achieved your catalog of work not just the accolades, just the great music that you created, the artists that you've supported, you know, the shifts that you've made to music. You've touched all of our lives, and now you're doing it through your personality and teaching. I just think it's really freaking cool. You ready for your big last question? Yeah. Okay. I want to know who you'd love to invite over to your house for dinner, but here's the rules. They can't be in a music business, and they must be dead. Oh, the dead part got me. Just, I'd love to hear who has mentored or whose presence on this earth has impacted you or meant something to you other than through music. Is there any name that comes to mind that, that, that pops out at you? One person was, I'd love Winston Churchill to come to my house. How come? Because the guy was absolutely so courageous and so... So he followed his heart when he was the one one guy that stood up and said, we will not negotiate with Hitler. When Hitler was had the entire country surrounded. Go watch The Darkest saved, Hour. I and saw he, it. He said in very many ways he saved our world from the Nazis. Did, There's no question about it. It's interesting because I want to pick you apart because I think this is di- this is deep and this is who you are. You chose a man who didn't make you laugh per se or make you smile. You chose somebody who you respected for being yeah, tough. I honor him. I honor him. 
Yeah, and, and, and that's just a, a fascinating choice. It doesn't surprise me at all because you are, in fact, such a deep guy, Kenny. This has been a blast, man. What's interesting about Kenny is he wasn't a great drummer. He wanted to become a great drummer, so he did. It wasn't natural talent, and we all know athletes that way, too, that weren't the greatest ball players when they were young, but they worked and they got good at it. Why did he work and get so good at it? Drive. There's a certain drive in Kenny that makes him great at what he does. And that drive is what drives his success. And just spending time with him on the phone even, getting to know him, he has a powerful energy about him. You just want to be around him. You know people like that. You know people who light up a room, who add energy to a room, energy to a process, that are just leaders, that just cause things to happen. Those are the people that drive success. Either you need to be one of those people or you need to align yourself with one of those people. That's the way to be successful. And Kenny has certainly proven that he can be. I love when people watch Bar Rescue. Obviously, the more the merrier. But getting your TV signal today can be really, really expensive and really difficult. And a lot of people pirate, and that's not right either. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. On Pluto TV, you can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely for free. Pluto TV never asks you for a credit card, and you don't even need to sign up to watch for free. And it's completely legal. Pluto TV is the legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and your hit movies for free. You can download Pluto TV at the App Store, Google Play, for free on all your favorite devices today, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. So what are you waiting for? Watch 100 free TV channels and thousands of movies on Pluto TV now. Shut it down! Now is my favorite part of the show. It's ready to talk to some listener call-ins. So, Casey, we got some good ones? We do, John. We have uh, Brandon. He's in New York. He's a college student, a little depressed because he needs some help with his time management skills. Brandon. Hey, what's up, John? How you doing, brother? How are you, man? You're on Long Island. How's it going, John? You're you're up in upstate at Stony Brook? Uh, No, I'm in Long Island. I live in Northport. Oh, Okay. Well, good to talk to you, man. Yes, What's going so, on? Uh, okay, so I, I I got some stuff to talk about. So I'm finishing up from NASA Community College now. I worked my ass off to do really well, became an honor society student, you know, really beefed up my resume a lot now. And now I just kind of, you know, I want to have a little fun with my life now. I'm 23, and I kind of felt like I missed out on a lot of things because I spent all my time studying and doing what I have to do. And I kind of see all my friends on Instagram and all these people having like a blast, and I kind of feel left out. I, I'm not, I'm, and I'm a pretty social guy too. Like I want to meet a girl already, and I want to, you know, just enjoy my life a little bit. And I don't really, I'm not really great with time management. I needed some help with that. What does time management have to do with meeting girls? You mean you work too hard? You don't take any time for yourself personally? Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's what I mean. Well, you know, time management is a choice, buddy. I mean, if you said to yourself, every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night, I'm going to go out and I'm going to socialize and I'm going to go to these places because that's where people are my age that are single and I'm going to force myself to do this. You wouldn't have received the honors and the awards and the success you've achieved if you weren't disciplined, Brandon. So you're disciplined, man. You know how to sit down and force yourself to do something if you need to do it, don't you? Yeah, exactly. 
You've studied when you needed to. You've worked when you needed to. And you're in the honor society because of it. So I think, honestly, that you're being dishonest with me and yourself. I honestly think that you don't have a time management problem. You are choosing not to do this. Now, you've got to try to figure out why. Are you scared of it? Yeah. Are you worried about failing? Because if you wanted to do it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. I absolutely would. So what are you scared of? I think it's maybe my confidence level in me because I kind of don't really love myself as much. And I just want to learn how to love myself a little bit. And I started seeing a therapist and we we're just kind of working on that. And I just, I, I definitely do want to make some new friends and I just want to enjoy my time when I go to, when I go off to Stony Brook and I just want to enjoy myself a little bit. And I want to, and I, my mother and my grandmother have been telling me to join some clubs and even, and I started actually doing meditation and it actually started helping a little bit. Good. Let me let me make a couple of comments for you. First of all, I speak to a lot of sure. people and I meet a lot of people. You are very calm. You're very relaxed. You're very uh, eloquent in what eloquent in what you're saying. You're very succinct and you're very smart. So to suggest to me that, that you don't have confidence in yourself, buddy, if you don't, you should. I want you to know that the way you've called and come mm-hmm. off. Uh, uh, um, you, you would do just as well if you were talking to a girl. I mean, it's a bit of an intimidating situation. You're calling me, you're on a radio, blah, 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 blah. It's no different than if you were in a bar with a girl. So I want, I want to leave you with a thought, Brandon. Don't sell yourself short, buddy. You're disciplined. You've achieved honor society success. You are confident enough and, and, and eager enough and aggressive enough to pick up the phone and call me and be on this show. You're eloquent and smart enough to communicate really well. Now you're heading up to Stony Brook, which, by the way, is a great place to be. You're going to have a great time up there. I have a lot of friends who went to Stony Brook. And you're going to start a new life. And I'm doing them, too, which is even more exciting. Yeah. So you're going to meet a whole bunch of new people. Remember what I said to you tonight. You have the confidence and the skill and the ability to meet anybody as much as anybody in that school or dorm does. Don't hold yourself back, man. You didn't in your schoolwork. You didn't in all of those other things. Block the time. Make yourself do this. Very quickly, you'll have a few friends really quick. And you'll have a bunch of places to go every week. Okay? Okay, I got it. And if you don't mind me asking you, John, can I ask you one more thing before you hang up? Sure. So I don't know. This is kind of out of the blue, but I don't know. I know you're a big music guy. Are you a big movie guy, too? Do you know does the name David Lynch ring a bell? You know, ever watch Twin Peaks? Sure. I, I, know, I know David. Well, I, I've watched Twin Peaks. It's, it's a very creative and uh, purposefully awkward piece of work. <laughs> and I got to tell you, before you hang up, you should always, you should definitely um, uh, attend David Lynch's workshop in Brooklyn. It's all about transcendental meditation. It's amazing, brother. You'll have the best time of your life. Great. It helped calm you down. Anyway, I want you to go out and have some fun, man. Promise? I will. I promise you, Tapper. Take care, buddy. All right, John, let's head over to John in Canton, Ohio. John and John. Uh, he just started a athletic apparel brand and uh, needs some help with marketing strategies. Hey, man, how are you? Great, John. How are you? Pleasure to speak with you this morning. Same here. So first, hats off to you for uh, launching anything. Uh, uh, um, and, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm working now. I'm doing Christmas week, a, uh, a show from New York for Fox Business on new business models. And I was just analyzing companies like Bowling Box Sheets and Happy Socks and all of these companies that, are, that I'm calling you know new market companies. 
that have launched without retail stores, without distributors, you know, without big inventories through internet and branding. And, and it's it's a wonderful opportunity today that people have to start businesses in this way. So <clears throat> I'm proud of you, buddy. Uh, congratulations for pulling the trigger. Tell me what's going on. Thank you. I appreciate it. <clears throat> Basically, uh, you know, I started out uh, as a as a football coach, youth coach, and and just really uh, realized that there was um, uh, a need in our community. We have a very diverse community here in Canton, Ohio. That um, you know, there's a lot of underprivileged uh, student athletes that just didn't have uh, the opportunities. And those those student athletes, you know, um, by part and just helping with transportation and and their needs and making sure that they had opportunities. Um, and as they grew, you know, I, I, uh, I realized that I had the opportunity to help them with, uh, some of their dreams and their goals. And, and they actually, in part, uh, some of my athletes helped me come up with the idea to, to launch a brand, something that I would say about a year, two years ago, I, I probably would have not, uh, even considered. Um, but the more we talked about it and the more, you know, I had, uh, you know, I have the typical coaching, um, talk to my guys that, you know, you can do anything you put your mind to. I said, you know, we're, we're going to go ahead and do this. And, uh, and what a better opportunity for me to connect with my, my, uh, my kids as they grow, you know, as they hit, they're, they're about 14, most of them 14, 15, and still stay connected with them. Um, then to go through this process together, you know, the learning experience, uh, because I'm, I'm by no means a, you know, a fashion expert or a, uh, a brand strategist. Um, but I've learned a lot in the past four months and it's, yeah, things are really starting to pick up and, and take off. Okay. So let me corner you for a minute. Give me your elevator pitch. So give me in two sentences why, why somebody would buy your, your stuff. Okay. I, and I would say, uh, you know, right now we have a unique, um, a, a unique design and feel for the, for the industry that some of the bigger brands don't have, uh, because nope. it's, it's, from you know the, the actual uh, customers, the, the young people that are buying it, and uh, that we're not you know we're not a, a major corporation that um, you know you, you kind of have the mentality of of paying. Okay, let me hold you for a second. Uh, you said something great. I want to hold you for a sec. So you told me okay. that you, your fabrics and your design uh, um, are special, are unique. So I want to teach yep. you. So what you just told me was a feature. Right. That's a feature of your clothes, your fabrics and your design, you know, the comfort, the blah, blah, blah. All that is great. Now I want you to t teach me and teach yourself what is the benefit. So that's what you didn't say to me. So let me tell you how I would have said that. I would have said we use the we use really unbelievable fabrics that just m increase the comfort, allow you to perspire better, keep your body temperature down. Uh, uh, we also have designs that provide flexibility and comfort and just feel great on you. And those things make our product special. Big difference between what great. I said and what you said, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're being a technician rather than being a salesman. And I want to help you here. Never say the feature without saying the benefit. You with me? So we use yep, these fabrics, definitely. which means blank, right? We do this, which means that. You know, we do this so you get that. We do this so you benefit in this way. We do that so you're comfortable. We do this so you're more active. We do. There's always a reason that tells the consumer why to buy it in anything that you say. So I want definitely. you to think that way a little bit. Make sense? 
and think about yeah, how absolutely. you're presenting it to people. Because what you just said to me, cool fabric, cool design. I'm okay. I'm interested <laughs> when I hear it that way. All right, John. Let's keep going. We've got uh, Andy over in New York. He's a event uh, event uh, management company. They have a few more tickets to sell for a big event coming up, and they've just kind of hit hit a, a staying point. They need your help. Ah, hey, Andy. John, how are you? I'm good, man. Nice to talk to you. New Yorker, huh? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually uh, upstate New York in a town called Binghamton, about an hour south of Syracuse. Of course. I know Binghamton well. There's a, a major university in Binghamton. Absolutely. SUNY Binghamton. It's a, it's a very, very big one. It, we, uh, it does well for our community. Sure it does. It's a college town. I had a lot of friends that went to SUNY up there. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. But, John, I really appreciate your time. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um, I've been uh, a Boris fan for a long time. Love the new podcast. Uh, I go to Vegas a lot and uh, always hope to try to catch you. But um, I actually uh, own my own DJ company, and we're doing a large event at the end of this year. Um, you know, weddings, parties, and so forth. But every yep. week we host uh, trivia nights. So uh, about three years ago, uh, excuse me, two years ago in 2016, we decided to throw this big event and say, hey, we want to thank you for all your support. Pulled in 500 people, gave away a trip to Vegas in 2016. Last year, uh, we thought, hey, can we do it even bigger? Pulled in 607 people, was sent a trip to New Orleans, and we actually are the uh, Guinness World Record for the largest team trivia event ever last year. So I'm something I'm very proud of. Ooh. So, yeah, yeah, it comes to this year. Um, we, uh, we're doing a trip to Miami, and I'm kind of stuck on about the last 15% of tickets. And uh, it's about 150 tickets left. And I went to last year's people and so forth. We sell them for 30 bucks. We give an open bar with, um, you know, house brand beer, uh, house brand, um, uh, you know, uh, liquor and so forth, wine. Uh, we have a catering company come in and so forth. And uh, there's about 150 tickets left, and we have this big show. We do trivia, and uh, I'm part of a live band that play all these clues for you live. We play a, play a song to give you a clue about the question. Real, 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 real neat thing. But uh, I'm stuck on these last 150 tickets, and I wanted to get your opinion. Should I should I discount something? Should I uh, you know should I do some sort of crazy stunt? Somebody said, oh, shave your head," and of course my wife said, "Get the heck out of here." So I wanted to get what your thoughts are. It's uh, it's a it's something I'm very proud of. But am I being too nervous? You know, the event's about six weeks away, and so on and so forth. Well, I used to uh, I founded it, and I used to run a nightclub and bar convention. Oh, get out of here! people who come to Las Vegas every year for the nightclub and bar convention. And I'm one of the six people who created it. it, was on the board for 35 years and ran it, was president of it for nine years. This is an event that you work all year. And then 100%. you sweat bullets for eight weeks as people register for three days. Mm -hmm. and during those eight weeks is the culmination of an entire year's work. So mm -hmm. now you're in the eight weeks and you open up your registration websites and everything. And you don't do any business in the eighth week. Mm -hmm. Very little business in the seventh week. The sixth week, you're starting to worry. You're really getting into a state of panic. Now you start to say, should I discount? Should I not? Should I lower my tickets? What should I do? You start to worry in the sixth week, so you hold back. And right. then in the fifth week, you sell a few tickets, but now you're really sweating bullets because you're mm -hmm. below the volume that you were last year, and you're freaking out, so you start discounting. Right. And what happens is you sell out three weeks out, Right, because you discount, you get Correct. rid of all the tickets. Now you're Correct. sold out three weeks before the event at a low ticket price, and you realize, wait a second, 
Nine out of ten people who'd pay a higher price are only going to buy that ticket three weeks out. So True. you have a serious roll of the dice issue here. Right. If you say to yourself, you know what, I got to fill the event. It's my reputation. It's the event. Even if I lose some money, I must fill this event. Then sure. discount. Fill the freaking room. And understand sure. that you're going to take a hit for doing it. Or right. if you say to yourself, my objective is to monetize this, period, end of discussion. Uh, right. Uh, so I can make the room look smaller. I can make the event, but I must monetize it. And I have a cost per head for food and a cost per head for food. So, so if monetization is your goal, then mm-hmm. hold on and discount two weeks out and take that roll for the money. Okay. If All right. Image, Excellent. I It's key. Then drop into that discounting sooner. But some people have okay. different priorities in what they're trying to accomplish. What I would tell you is you got to wait as long as possible before you discount. I think, you know, it's interesting you say that. I've, um, you know, my father's told me that. He goes, people are going to come back. You've done it for two years and it's been successful. So what's 150 tickets? You know, people will come back. You put the urgency in them and uh, they know you put on a great show. So uh, I'm excited. Let me give you a suggestion uh, for next year. I'm a Las Vegas boy all the way and nobody loves Las Vegas more than me. I live here. I would reach out to one of the casinos in Vegas, create a sponsorship for next year. Have a relationship with MGM or Caesars. They'll give you the room. They'll give you the plane ticket. You'll have a sponsor to coordinate that. And my suggestion is stay with the same destination every year. Whether you choose Vegas, stay with the same destination. Build up a reputation with that destination. Get a sponsorship from that destination. Because people just might say, I don't want to go to Miami. Sure, Just hurricanes down there, blah, blah, blah. The city can work against you. So pick a city that you're successful in and stay with it. That would be my suggestion. Vegas and New Orleans are the two biggest tourist attractions in America, so I don't think you could go wrong with either one. I'll tell you, it's interesting you say that. I'm coming to to Vegas uh, with my wife for our anniversary in two weeks, and uh, so maybe I'll do a little foot traffic while I'm out there. That is uh, is a great idea. Thank you so much, John. My pleasure, Andy. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Well, those were great listener calls. It was really fun to talk about the memorabilia. Having Kenny this week was an unbelievable blast. It's always amazing to talk to somebody who is just so successful, such a monster in their field. And after talking to him, Corey, you can see why. The guy's a bulldog. He doesn't give up at all. You know, he just he just plunges forward. And that's why he's the best in the world. It is. You know, and I love the story that when he started at Juilliard at the, at the Aspen Music School, he was the worst musician there. So he wasn't good when he started. He made himself good. And, you know, that's the, the, the best lesson. Kenny had no excuses. That's why I loved him. Anyway, that'll wrap it up from Puerto Rico this week. Next week, I'll be coming to you from Manhattan uh, as we get ready for some Christmas broadcasts on Fox Business. And I'll talk to you all next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast One. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. 